You can just blame it on me. It's simple. John did it. He made it up. It's John. I laughed. Oh, he's filthy. <laughs> I had a look up. And do, by the way, honey, don't do that. tell you right now honestly for the purposes of us not starting out in the toilet i just gotta cut this all out i mean i just said to you guys <laughs> hey and folks can just wonder what it was hey welcome back to another episode of 1980s now a weekly examination of the importance of 1980s pop culture and its influence today hey my name is will and joining me every <laughs> joining me today as ever, as they always do i, I don't know <laughs> are my friends and co-hosts cat and John, hey guys. Hi guys. Hi there. How's it going? Good. Very good. Yeah. yeah good. Yeah. All right. Hey, on today's show, uh, speaking of the 1980s and its continued influence today, on today's show, we're going to examine mm -hmm. the origins of our collective fear of Halloween sadism. Mm. Darkened our All Hallows Eves every year, I think, throughout the 1980s, certainly, or in the 70s. And I got to warn you guys, just up front, we're going to talk about some real stuff. Some okay. of it's dark. Yeah. Ooh. Gross, but you can't really talk about Halloween sadism without uh, talking about these certain things. Anyway, before that, though, we're going to review it. current news stories related to 1980s media, including Andy Summers will be watching Sting. Yes. Okay. Yes. The Moonlighting Strangers mm. are now uh, streaming strangers. It's the streaming <laughs> Moonlight. Moon oh, moon Moonlight is yes, yeah. yes, yes. Ooh, the Moonlight is streaming. Yeah. Uh, D. Snyder's yeah. epic battle uh, with the PMRC has been immortalized in a new graphic novel. And a new, this is a bonus <laughs> story here, a new, it's only bonus for you because nobody else knows Listen, better. listen. Okay, just what? the last time we had a bonus story, it went off yeah. the rails, so just careful. <laughs> I'm not pressing any buttons. Okay. <laughs> uh, bonus story for, at least for Cat and John, but not for you listening because you didn't even know we were, we, I had not included Ted to us, mm -hmm. or I didn't tell them about it. A new yeah. documentary sheds light on a 40 year old crime. Oh, mm -hmm. okay. Time codes are in the show notes. If you'd like to skip around. Hey, briefly, I wanted to tell you guys something. Deja vu. <laughs> Sorry, Michael. Deja vu. Uh, author oh. Michael Thomas Perone's follow-up to his award-winning Danger Peak is now available. Oh. So Danger Peak, ah, you recall nice. we talked uh, to the author Michael Perone uh, just, a, I don't know, a few months ago. This guy's just cranking books out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very prolific yeah. guy. I'm, I'm looking around to, for my copy. It's on a shelf You could learn a thing or two, Will. Yeah. Uh -oh. <laughs> well, hey. You know, and, and look, uh, we talked about Sky's book last week, uh, which is not, her new book is not set in the 1980s, but her, the one that we talked about prior was, and Michael's yeah. this week is all his new book and his uh, last book were both set in the 1980s. And yeah, just as a matter mm -hmm. of maybe putting out there in the universe, you know, I, look, I love these, both these guys in their work. Uh, but yeah. you're right, John. And the, to the extent that I'm trying to uh, <laughs> have it come back to me, this uh, energy uh -huh. of completing work. You put it out in the world, yes, it returns. There you go. Nice. Book karma. So yeah. uh, briefly about Michael's book. Uh, book it, karma. Here's, this, here's an abridged summary, one that I abridged. A uh, 12-year-old Bobby Dalton doesn't want to grow up. All his life, he's relied on imaginary games of childhood with his best friends, Joe and Max, to get him through the tough times. Now, so far, I'm thinking this could almost be, if we change the names, it could be the uh, the tagline for Gen X Grown Up, which is John's <laughs> other podcast. 
It's just changed things. All his life, John has relied on imaginary games of childhood with his best friends, Mo and George, to get him through the tough times. Yeah, look, that works. You got it. Yeah. I love it. Back to the book, though. It says, but all this changes when his seventh grade class buries a time capsule to commemorate the end of the 1980s. Now Bobby is seeing visions, doubles of himself, his friends, and others. Are these visions real? Or has his imagination finally gone away from him? Bobby needs to figure this all out to survive childhood and his life. Wow. Deja Vu is a darkly funny coming of age dramedy with a sci-fi twist. Amen. He told me about this book. I don't think I don't I don't think I published this as part of our interview because you know he was working on it, but as soon as mm-hmm. he told me about it, I was like, yes, I want to read that, please, immediately. I love that word, dramedy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'll, I uh, ordered my copy already, and I'm going to be checking it out, uh, reading it very soon. And I encourage you to go to bookshop.org and order your copy today or tomorrow. <laughs> All right. Hey, let's get started, because I'm anxious to tell you about this. Uh, talk about Halloween sadism. Oh, yes. <laughs> this should be a delight. Yeah. I'm so psyched. <laughs> but first, we got to get through this news. Hey, as reported by Classic ultimate classic rock rather not just classic rock there's a website i'm sure that's classic rock this is ultimate. Right. they came uh, out later well far above yes <laughs> now next week we do have a story from superior classic rock superb it's superb but not as superb as superb classic rocks news coverage mm-hmm. of a story we're going to do in november right i get all my, all my sources yeah. are from penultimate classic rock yes oh my gosh john that was i was going to say penultimate you took it right out of my mouth right i, I don't yes. want to brag and do the very best one just you know the next of that's true you're right but they're reporting that annie's andy summers is still battling sting of course andy summers being another member of the police Mm-hmm. The, uh, the rock band that Sting put Sting on the map. Summer says a disagreement with Sting regarding songwriting credits for the police's hit, Every Breath You Take, is still, quote, very much alive, end quote. I didn't know they were fighting. I didn't know either. This is kind of fascinating. Yeah, I maybe only knew, maybe only heard that initially there was some discussion over who got credit, but I did. I thought that was that beef yeah. was squashed. I had no idea. Now, I remember we talked about uh, Sting uh, fighting with um, P. Diddy, Puff Daddy. Uh, with mm-hmm. regard to every breath yes. you take and uh, still getting paid as a result of uh, him, uh, mm-hmm. Puff Daddy, sampling every breath you take without or in- interpolating without his permission. But no, I didn't know about this. But the, the the guitarist is in the midst of an ongoing multimedia tour called The Cracked Lens and The Missing String. While promoting the shows on the mm-hmm. Jeremy White Show podcast, Summers was asked about songwriting credits for the chart-topping 1983 single, and he offered a pointed response. Here it is. Oh. That song was going in the trash until I played on it, and that's all there is to it. Mm. Wow. And I think that's composition. Absolutely. So I guess it seems like ultimately the battle is going to be over who created the song. I'm sure right. St- Sting wrote the song. Andy Summers worked his magic as far as arranging it. And as a result, thinks he deserves some songwriting credit. I don't necessarily disagree with Andy. However, right. I always, I always am a bit dubious when anyone prefaces a statement with, I don't care what anyone says or ends <laughs> a statement with, and that's all there is to it. <laughs> Don't look any further. You're clearly into not it. not open to discussion. No. You've already made your mind up. So there, yes. but there's always more to it. Mm-hmm. And you should care yep. what anyone says, otherwise your mind is closed. Anyway, and that's it. Don't check. Yeah, exactly. It's like that, that's the fact. Don't don't yeah, yeah. don't verify. Yeah, well, why are you going on your phone? No, put your phone down. Put your phone down. I, I have to be somewhere. Bye. I I said that's all there is to it. Don't you hear me? This reminds me. We talked. Uh, I don't know a week or so ago about. We talked about it many times. How Nile Rodgers improved. Uh, the, the uh, you know, probably many Duran Duran songs, but certainly the reflex, if you hear the original version, it's fine. But right. 
Nile Rogers sprinkled some secret mm-hmm. sauce on it that elevated it to the reflex version, possibly the only reflex you've ever heard. Very possibly. Right. Yes, yes. But he probably didn't get a songwriting credit for producing it. Instead, he got paid mm. for being a producer. Now, the producer, whatever that arrangement yeah. is, mm-hmm. you know, is, I guess it could be based mm-hmm. on some amount of sales or something, but probably it's maybe it's a combination of a fee in that. But so it mm-hmm. sounds like that's what Summers is, you know, is, that sounds analogous to what Summers did. Yeah. Uh, Summers wouldn't go yeah. into any detail about the ongoing efforts to get songwriting credit, but he, he, he uh, hinted that a potential legal battle is brewing. He said, quote, watch the press. Let's see what happens in the mm-hmm. next year. End quote. Huh. That sounds ominous. Okay. Well, I'll just start now. <laughs> right. yeah, why, and why are we waiting? Just do it now. That's the, that's the Billy Mitchell school of taking action. Just mm. threatening some ominous activity that will be forthcoming. Just watch and be careful. You know? I'm wondering, when did he start fighting this? Was it um, when the song became like the most played mm. song ever? <laughs> was it way before that? Or was it, oh, I'd better um, try to get more out of this super popular song. Yeah, it's a good why do you question. Think, why do you think it matters, Kat? Well, I think it, 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 I'm looking at the money part mm-hmm. of it. Was he okay with his <laughs> part in it before there was potential? A small part money? of zero <laughs> versus know. 100% right, exactly. of a hit or 50% <laughs> right. of a hit. I, I get that. Well, it's, but, it's a police song, yeah. right? Doesn't he get money from it anyway? I, I, well, since he doesn't get credit, I would think that it is mm-hmm. a sting song. Yeah. It was from the police. Well, the reason I asked Kat is because I, I could see how maybe you didn't really care when it wasn't a whole bunch of money, but you you choose your battles. Like why would you fight sting over scraps, but you might fight sting over, you know, gold, you know what I'm saying? So you might just go, yeah, fine. If you feel happy taking credit, but now since there's a substantial amount Mm -hmm. of money with, you know, was the most played song on the radio ever or something. Right. Like I get why you would want to get your props there. Even if it's just, even if it's just for legacy, who made that song popular? Well, was it Sting or was it me? So that's the problem of being in a group is no one person did it. No. So yeah. We get that maybe it would be thrown away, right. but someone had to hand you the thing that was worthy of being thrown away. So you didn't do all of it, right? So Yes, yeah. sort of. Uh, and I get all that, except I guess that um, as far as the publishing goes, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's for the most part, just two types of ways of, uh, two types of people, I guess, that you say get paid for the, for the a song. It's the person who wrote mm-hmm. it, the songwriter. Yes. And then there's money that's paid to the uh, folks who created the particular instance of the song. So, you know, this, the record mm-hmm. company, the studio that actually recorded it, pressed the money up, pressed the record, mm-hmm. they get a cut of it too. Other than that, yeah, th- there's no room for if you're an arranger or something like that, unless you cut some special deal. No, too bad. On this yeah. record, I just checked, wow. Sting is the only okay. credited songwriter. Even though it's the police. Yeah, but it's the, and it's the police performing it. But, you know, in that sense, it's no different than if Sting wrote it and hired a band to record it. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but Sting began to work on the song in 1982 following his breakup with his first wife and the subsequent beginning of his relationship with her friend, Trudy Styler, to whom he's married now. Uh, the, the police intended to include the song on their album, Synchronicity, but it proved to be the most difficult to complete. Sting's initial concept didn't have a guitar part and his bandmates further dis- disagreed on, quote, where the drums and bass were going to sit with the song, end quote. As a result, they weren't going to include the song on the album until, according to Summers, the band didn't have enough tracks to fill it out. <laughs> Summers said, quote, we needed the material. Sting just turned to me and said, well, go on, go in there and make it your own. And I went in and I got that lick almost. Oh. <laughs> it was in one take. Everyone stood up and cheered. Well, if that were me, certainly I'd want <laughs> some <laughs> 
credit, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, we clapped. You want money Get too? Yeah. <laughs> Settle down. <laughs> But uh, and as Kat uh, teased, it was uh, in 1983. It was number one in the UK and America, and it spent eight weeks uh, on the top mm. on the Billboard Hot 100, and the best. It was the best singing, <laughs> best selling single of 1983, yeah. and it also earned them a pair of Grammys, and finally uh-huh. is uh, regarded as mm-hmm. the most played song in radio history. Right. Hey, another 1980s yeah. news: Moonlighting is now streaming. As reported by Consequence, uh, as of October 10th, all five seasons of the show are available to stream for the first time ever on Hulu. We talked about this, I don't know, months ago, maybe a year ago. It might have been around a year ago because I think it was the creator of the show teased, Hmm. uh, you know, Mm -hmm. she's working on on the brink of working something something out, you know. uh, But all 67 episodes of the comedy... I'd say dramedy, actually, right? I think dramedy applies to this, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think so. Start, uh, Sybil Shepard and Bruce Willis have been remastered in HD from the original film source and will feature the Grammy-nominated theme sung by Al Jarreau. <laughs> I was a fan of the show. Did you guys watch? I don't remember. I'm sure we talked about it. I have seen it. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't, but it, I wasn't in a situation to be able to just like religiously no, watch right, it. Because yeah. your dad was controlling the TV. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I definitely enjoyed it. And while I'm excited that this is now an option, I'm like, darn, I have so much yeah. else to watch too. But I, but I do really want to. Yeah, I was surprised you told us you were watching Poltergeist. Poltergeist? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I've actually seen that so many times. But when I was mm-hmm. very young, my sister was obsessed oh, yeah. with it and it was on, I guess, HBO. And oh, she was, it was always on, always mm-hmm. on, always on. And I thought, oh, it's been a really long time. And after we talked about the yeah. skeletons, oh, yeah. yeah, they're here. I thought, I'm going to watch this again. I got to look at these skeletons. <laughs> Did it hold up? Was it scary? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, well, it wasn't like, you know, well, Scott was doing little. <laughs> to scare you? <laughs> You're yeah, calling him out here on the show? <laughs> He's a chicken. I was fine. <laughs> no, no, he was jump scaring her, well, trying no, to scare he her. Oh, he was trying, oh, to, he was scare trying to scare me. you. Oh, I thought you was jumping. Oh. You see him waiting. He's like, yeah. oh, I know something's oh. Well, you're calling him out. You're calling oh. out his meanness and shenanigans. Yes, right. Out. So it wasn't Boom. like it was super mm-hmm. scary, but it's a really yeah. good movie. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed watching it again. And I loved, I kept having these moments of, oh, I remember oh, that. Like, oh, like the, the, um, the lady, the clairvoyant lady. Mm-hmm. Zelda Rubenstein. Whose house is clear. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. yes. I'd forgotten all about her and whoosh, there she was. So that mm-hmm. was a cool experience to have all these memories. My wife mm-hmm. is still terrified of snow on a TV static. Oh, really? Seriously. <laughs> and that happens and I start going, mommy, can you hear me? Are you there? <laughs> Oh, she she runs out. No, nope. She's like, nope, oh. nope. Does she push the TV yes. out on the patio? Yeah, how many TVs we've gone through? Well, speaking of moonlighting. Is that what, is that what it was? Okay. <laughs> At one point we were, sure. I thought this was oh. a story about Walter. I don't know if I ever watched a full episode. I've always seen it on a lot, but I never watched it long enough to to be engaged in, in the show. So yeah. I was actually okay. surprised mm-hmm. when I saw Bruce Willis in Die Hard. He's like, who's this guy? Like, oh. I, I, didn't, I didn't have the oh. baggage of moonlighting. Okay that he had to break through to be this action hero because he was this, you know, mm-hmm. this humorous leading man guy. So, uh, but yeah. now that it's on Hulu, the yeah. fact that that's a big deal, okay. it shines a very important light on the fact that we are at the mercy of streamers to see what we want to see. Yeah, And if you don't own it somehow, either digitally or on DVD mm-hmm. or whatever, which even, or Blu-ray, I guess, even DVD yeah. is an HD, so you wouldn't have it, but at least you could watch it. 
Yeah. But now, you know, like I get newsletters or in my feeds and like everything leaving Netflix this month. Yeah. You know, right. Just so you yeah. go, quick go and watch it before right. it's gone. <laughs> that was never a thing. Yeah. You watched what you had or you went to the yeah. movie store and the movie store wasn't throwing away movies. Right. Everything was available forever once it came out. But now that we are all yeah. suckling on the teat of streaming now, when we don't get physical media, <laughs> yes. we're at the mercy of what they have a license for or what we're subscribed to. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. effectively, Moonlighting has been unavailable to anyone that didn't have the discs yeah, for years right. now until now, which is crazy. And even yeah. worse, John, and I'm sure you guys know this, anything you bought from Apple, quote unquote, bought or from mm-hmm. any of those services like that, mm-hmm. you don't you didn't actually buy the movie. You yeah. bought a license to watch it when you to want. watch it. And I've had movies that I bought disappear from my uh, library Mm -hmm. to approach Apple. they don't have it any longer. Yeah, and Apple's like, well, we don't have a license for that one anymore. I'm like, well, I do as far as I know. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We were only subletting a license to you and now we've lost it. (laughs) Yep. And then they they want to refunding your money for it, but (laughs) that's not the point. I want to always have it available forever. Like John said. Anyway. Uh, the original show aired from 85 to 89. Of course, it's centered mm-hmm. on uh, Shepard's Maddie Hayes, who was mm-hmm. a fashion model who goes broke after her accountant absconds with all of her money. Mm. It turns out the only thing, the only asset I think she has is this, this detective agency that's being run by Bruce mm-hmm. Willis's character, David Addison. And he talks her into, because this is what he does. You know, he's very smooth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He talks her into keeping it open and instead, you know, running it together to, to solve crimes. And that's what the premise of the show was. Of course, the show, you know, quote unquote, jump the shark when these will they or won't they, when this will they or won't they couple eventually will they. they. (laughs) I was like, oh, it's fine. But the sexual tension just goes out the window. If you're actually Mm -hmm. 100% sexual, then there's no tension. Exactly. That's why I never have sex with my wife because I just like the tension. (laughs) You like the tension. (laughs) (laughs) No, honey. I have a headache. Tension. I have a tension headache. And I like it. Will we or won't we? The tension is palpable. Yeah. We can never because then we're going to uh, jump the shark like Maddie and Also, David. please yeah. do the dishes. Yes, also. And also. Hey, another 1980s news as reported by Comic On or Comic. I think this website is taking advantage of the, you know, the, this phrase that's just part of our regular vernacular now, Comic Con. Dish tension. Suddenly I'm thinking. Dish tension? Dish washing tension. <laughs> that's where I was going. Don't wash the dishes because I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Will he, will she or won't she wash the dishes? The tension is palpable. <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking about. I don't know how to be thinking about washing dishes. Something to do with your households and the arrangements you have with you your spouses. You are in such a rush to talk about comic books. Like you, you do did. errands for, I heard what you said. I just kept going because I don't know what you're talking about. I think you guys have a chart in your house where like a certain amount of errands earn you certain things. It's a value. I'm taking the trash out tonight. Aha, I feel <laughs> Honey, look, I got five holes in my punch punches in my card now. You know what that is? Mm-hmm. Free sub. She's like, all right, let's get it out of the way with because if he makes it to that sixth punch, I am not willing to go there. Uh. Can I move on now? <laughs> Your wife will be grateful. Uh, <laughs> so this is reported by this website, comic it's C-O-M-I-C-O-N.com. I mean, it does seem like it's taking advantage of Comic-Con, right? But that wouldn't be Comic-Con. It's like Comic-On. Maybe it's Com-Icon. Oh, there you go. Com-Icon. Reported by Com-Icon. D. Snyder's (laughs) battle with the PMRC has been documented in a graphic novel that's coming out this November. And I'm all excited about this. Neat. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, So when Twisted Sisters lead singer D. Snyder walked into the U.S. Senate's Committee on Commerce in 1985, he was wearing a jean jacket and a tank top. 
looking every mm-hmm. bit the rocker that you saw on MTV. Uh, but he transformed in this moment from, you know, this just what folks thought was just solely this rock star who was trying to push the edge, who some folks suggested maybe he was a Satanist, you know, and it, mm. all the evil that was associated with that. But instead, he became this rather unlikely advocate for free speech during this era where all types of music were being come, coming under attack because this organization, mm-hmm. you know, was scared of it and scared of it on behalf of our children. Mm-hmm. Um and if you watch this, the video of him speaking, and it's available, you can find it, no problem. He is mm-hmm. so, he surprises all these folks who think that they're just going to, you know, these folks on this committee, that they're just going to take advantage of this guy. He's probably unsophisticated mm-hmm. right. musician. Probably not so bright. But yeah. he's clearly pre- well-prepared, well-spoken, <laughs> gotcha. uh, and, and does speak, you know. Uh, articulate. He's articulate, yes. It makes a well-reasoned <laughs> argument for not censoring music. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and, and this, uh, this, uh, PMRC uh, was led by Tipper Gore, uh, Al Gore's Mm -hmm. uh, spouse. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and she and this organization were intent on silencing Twisted Sister and many more just like it. We've talked, we, we, uh, Kat asked last week if uh, any of the songs we were talking about were part of the Filthy 15. The PMRC Mm -hmm. is this group that put together this list of 15 songs that represented everything that was wrong with America and music. (laughs) Great music. (laughs) And unsurprisingly, a lot of it was sexual innuendo. Some mm-hmm. of it was mm-hmm. violence, but a lot of it, I think most of it was sexual mm-hmm. innuendo and they mm-hmm. couldn't handle mm-hmm. that. And our kids couldn't handle it, which is always mystifying right. to me because between sex and violence, most people are going to have sex eventually or have some sort of either some sort of sexual something with themselves, with a partner. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Most people can go their whole lives and avoid violence. That is not a mm-hmm. natural, you know. I don't know. So why do yeah, we want why to, make it an issue? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, th- yeah, this yeah. is the music group that, uh, you know, lobbied to have stickers, explicit lyrics, stickers put on different records, which backfired mm-hmm. on them because now kids knew what records to shop for by looking for these parent parental <laughs> yeah. advisory labels. Well, exactly. Wasn't Tipper Gore suggesting like kind of what we have on television now with the ratings, it would not only be a rating, but it would right. be like, what is it? Mm-hmm. Right. What, what mm-hmm. is the problem? You know, television could be, you know, TV 13 MA or whatever, and it can say V right. for violence or N for nudity or whatever. And she wanted to have like codes, which would be even more helpful to kids to know, Oh, I want to definitely get this one. They're talking <laughs> about sex. Yeah. Or they're talking about the occult or whatever, right. you know, mm-hmm. they know now, but yep. yeah, you get a little index. <laughs> right. Yeah. What, who was, who was the band? Was it public enemy or somebody that just made their album cover? The parental advisory sticker I think was, it was them. NWA maybe. NWA. It was NWA. Okay. Yeah. I think yep, you're right. Yep. Let's just say, you know, let's embrace it and just thumb our nose and our entire yeah. cover is your mm-hmm. sticker. So there you go. <laughs> so now in partnership with Z two comics, Snyder's water preserve. The first amendment is detailed in. He's not going to take it. A graphic novel charting the rockers battle Ooh. against censorship and free speech. Yeah. Alongside writer Frank Marafino and artist Steve Kurth. But more mm-hmm. than a story of those hearings, uh, we are told, uh, he, he's not going to take it charts the life of Dee Snyder from a childhood where he was frequently silenced through early efforts to stifle his band's music to the mm-hmm. open warfare of the PRMRC hearings in Washington, D.C., and his current efforts on social media. Uh, mm-hmm. Regarding this, D. Snyder said, quote, when I look back on that historic day, I think, how did I fit balls that big into those skin tight jeans? <laughs> then I reflect on the fact that I still stand for everything I stood for all those years ago, and I'm ready to do battle mm. again. And his jeans are looser now, so he really can let it hang. <laughs> He's also older, so hmm. 
Well, I guess gravity mm. would, gravity doesn't help. So mm. mm-hmm. swing low. Yes, John, John is just singing random songs. Sweetie Snyder. Uh, he's not going to take it. Will be available in both soft cover and hardcover formats, as well as an oversized hardcover deluxe and an oversized hardcover deluxe hand signed edition. You could order all, right. all of those from. The Z2 Comics website. Mm-hmm. Can you get foot signed also? You have options. Get your foot signed? <laughs> hand signed. Oh, foot signed. oh hand signed. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. That is a weird way to say, say hand that. signed versus yeah. just hand signed. signed. You know? what, what's, what's the other way? Foot signed. <laughs> right. I wonder mouth if signed. Hold the pen in your mouth. Hey, yeah, I want yeah, to try yeah, to distinguish right. from those. You know, they have that like machine that it's like a, it's called a, like a mechanical pen or something like that, where mm-hmm. it just yeah. reproduces your signature using an actual strokes. Like a, sure. You put yeah. a pen like, in it mm-hmm. and it actually just does it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they're trying. It's not a fake. Maybe that's what they mean. It's not a. I like yeah, John's yeah. idea better though. <laughs> because <laughs> because <laughs> so many people want D. Snyder's autograph that yeah. we couldn't possibly have him do them all. So we had to build a machine. Yeah. No, they're hand signed. <laughs> and He's well, both hands. And, and you know, D. Snyder says, you know, obviously he says this in his quote and this little bio or, or the summary as to what this graphic novel is about. Yeah, we're still fighting these stupid issues still. Yeah. We should yeah, not right. be. And more so in some cases. Yes. More so. Mm-hmm. Look at the state of Florida. Just whole in oh. whole batches they're uh. dumping books or pulling books from libraries. We're not so bright down here. Crazy. Oh, driving me nuts. <laughs> can we just be done? I mean, seriously, can we just be done with the shit that we fought about years ago that all of us collectively said, our generation said, this is nonsense. We don't like this. Now our generation's like, I'm all for this. Now I'm old <laughs> oh. and I want to do this thing that I didn't like as a kid. Don't you see? Uh, you're part of the cycle. Mm-hmm. The hypocrisy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. Whatever. Anyway, finally, as reported by CBS News, a new documentary sheds light on a 40-year-old crime. A groundbreaking mm-hmm. new documentary investigates the chaos of one of the nation's most notorious crimes, Painkiller, mm-hmm. the Tylenol Murders, oh. premiered on Paramount Plus on October 10th. Did it? Using hours of exclusive archival footage, the five-part docuseries transports viewers back four decades to the moments after a twisted killer laced Tylenol pills with cyanide and killed mm-hmm. seven people in the Chicago area. Fear and panic shot across the country with no one knowing how widespread the poisonings were. Right. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Uh, while the person responsible was never arrested, the journalists behind the film believe they know who did it. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They also explore the missteps by law enforcement in the investigation of the prime suspect and the mm-hmm. real possibility that had he been caught sooner for previous crimes, the murders in Chicago would never have happened. Oh, wow. Uh, it took two years to make this mm-hmm. documentary. Mm-hmm. It uh, features uh, in-depth present-day interviews with, with the few remaining witnesses that uh, played pivotal roles in ultimately solving this uh, Determining what was killing these folks. I've got to go. I'm going to go start watching this right now. I love documentaries yeah. like that. And yeah. this is, yeah, that's... And, and yeah. more so, I mean, obviously, that I mean the the deaths, which there were, it, it was it was all over the United States, but mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. it only affected was it like half a dozen people or so? Did you say it wasn't that many people? Seven died, people, right? yeah. Seven. seven. Okay, people. there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it feels bigger. But the impact that it had on oh yeah on, on the pharmaceutical companies and you know on packaging and that kind of thing, I find that the really fascinating. I, I don't yeah. mean to diminish the people who were the victims of it, of yeah. course, yeah. but I'm I'm equally interested in. Um, how we all reacted to it and how companies mm-hmm. reacted. I think that's going to be fascinating. So, right. and with five parts, they should have time to dig into all that. That sounds great. Yes. And they do. And they do. Hey, and more on wow. that a little bit later in the show. Speaking of that, hmm. let's say that was the end of 1980s. News. All right. So, Hey, like I mentioned at the top of the show, 
surprising both of you because you had no idea what we're talking about because I didn't really mm-hmm. realize I didn't put the topic in the nope. our uh, website there. That uh, right, we're well prepared. Are we sure our notes? <laughs> but well, hey, like open-minded, most, yes. And although this isn't going to be a true crime, I'm going to tell you about some true crimes. Uh, <laughs> minus the normal bells and whistles and uh, silly voice. <laughs> Although I do want to play some creepy music in the background because I think that might help set the mood, especially since it's Halloween season. And what we're going to be mm-hmm. talking about is the fear of the Halloween sadist that mm. I want to say followed us through most of our youths and is still present today. Mm-hmm. Maybe not to the extent it was during, during our, our, when we grew up, but uh, I still hear talk about this uh, to this day. And what are we talking okay. about? All right, well, let's just talk about it here. Um, <laughs> let me play some creepy music though first. Let's see if I can get this going. Of course, it's a must. Set the mood. I love Halloween, by the way. I just, I love it. <laughs> Something about this time of year. I mean, it's just perfect. Obviously, Halloween has become what it is because of what mm-hmm. was happening naturally. Yeah. So the fact that things in nature, plants are dying. Rotting. The, the days are getting shorter. The nights are coming sooner. All that plays into the spooky, eerie, aspects of this holiday the darkness is taking over yeah I love amazing it. moons with clouds sweeping mm, by yes. run mm. and the branches are losing mm. the leaves the zombies wandering the streets oh, oh well, yeah, yeah. that's obvious yeah well that's part of the cool thing about halloween right i mean there is something really cool about being outside and just all these freaks not in the sense that the houdini was <laughs> talking about but all these freaks in the sense that houdini's song was uh culturally appropriated for Halloween parties <laughs> in elementary schools. Just okay. wandering, you know, in costumes. It's pretty cool. It's it like is. a safe purge. It is cool. I guess, maybe. A safe purge. Yeah. Okay, I like it. Safe that's, purge. That's, that's, yeah. that's yeah, apropos. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. much of what I'm going to tell you about, uh, share t- today, comes from the work of uh, Joel Best and Gerald T. Horiuchi. Horiuchi, I'm going to say. Ooh. Mm-hmm. who published a paper in 1985 called The Razor Blade in the Apple. Oh. Uh. Uh, now, since then, Best has continued to update uh, some of their findings uh, over the years, but uh, I relied mostly on just the paper as it was published then because mm-hmm. that most clearly reflected what we thought, how we thought and felt at that time mm-hmm. growing up in the 1980s. So, and that's what we're going to be talking about. We're talking about Halloween sadism. We're talking about this idea that there are people out there that want to harm children, particularly on Halloween night, by right. tainting in one way or another their Halloween treats, making them dangerous. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And although fears of Halloween candy can be tracked back to the 19th century, it turns out, uh, when, oh, when mass-produced really? candy found its way on a store shelves, <laughs> which seems to me, right, this is, you could think that this is just like a, um, a big Halloween candy thing, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Buy the packaged candy. It's safer. Yeah. Don't go with the fruit and stuff because that's dangerous, right? <laughs> it's big candy stretching their, their, their arms into everything. <laughs> that's yeah. got to be it. The origins of this. And whether that was true in the 18 uh, or in the 19th century during the 1800s or not. Two tragic stories from the 1970s helped fuel the fear that gripped us one night each year mm-hmm. throughout our youths. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. sure, it began a long time ago, but it was kind of low level. And then during the 1970s, it uh, grew. Yeah. Uh, 1970, as reported by the New York Times, a, at the time, a f- five-year-old Kevin Tostin, say Tostin, one of those, mm-hmm. uh, 
who had eaten Halloween candy laced with heroin died in November of that year. The authorities at Children's Hospital ordered an autopsy on the victim who fell into a coma after eating the candy. Wow. He collected the candy during his trick-or-treat rounds. Doctors Mm. said that the boy had suffered an overdose of narcotics. Analysis of some of the candy he had eaten showed that heroin mixed with quinine? Quinine? Quinine. Mm -hmm. Quinine. Mm -hmm. In powder form had been sprinkled over it. Wow. And then in 1974, after trick-or-treating, Timothy O'Brien asked to eat some of his candy before bed. Mm-hmm. He selected one of the pixie sticks he had collected. Mm-hmm. When he had trouble pouring the powder into his mouth, his father rolled the straw between his palms to loosen it. And after mm-hmm. consuming the candy, Timothy complained that it tasted bitter. His father mm-hmm. gave him some Kool-Aid to wash the taste out. Timothy began vomiting almost immediately and within minutes, he was convulsing. Oh, my God. His father called oh. an ambulance, but Timothy uh, died en route to the hospital less than an hour after consuming the pixie stick. But a pixie stick? Those are sealed, right? Yeah, those like those tubes with powder. Yeah, yeah. paper tube. Yeah. 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 Oh, but they're just kind of, are they sealed? They used to just kind of be like folded over, I think. So. Oh. Still, <gasps> yeah, pretty Maybe easy to they were with. originally. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. man. Eventually, I knew that they would be sealed, but wow, maybe it was folded at first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I mentioned that these, you know, f- fear of uh, consuming uh, treats that were homegrown, you know, goes back to mm-hmm. even the 19th yep. century. Mm-hmm. We, in a more contemporary period, we had some news reports of these uh, folks reporting kids being sick, injured, hurt from treats, uh, news reports in the 1950s. But okay. even that said, as I mentioned, they didn't really tick up till after these started. These things started happening in the 1970s. During mm-hmm. that time, the press began reporting more and more incidents, warning parents to uh, to inspect Halloween treats. I especially remember that hospitals would volunteer, bring your treats by, mm-hmm. and we'll give you a free X-ray of your to- of your your entire oh hall. Right? Yep. I never wow. did it, but I remember that it was advertised that you know, stop by your local you know community right. hospital, and they'll give you this free candy x-ray if you want and they'll oh my god that's right yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. you didn't do it just for fun (laughs) just to to make him give me an x-ray no i did not (laughs) and he stuck his arm in there because he had injured it earlier can i hold the candy (laughs) while you run the x-ray tries to get free medical Uh there appears to be a bone in your apple and it's fractured (laughs) they wrap a cast around the apple and your arm <laughs> That's going to be nice in four months when I take that kid stuff. <laughs> so here's some examples. In the, in the New York Times in 1970, they wrote, "quote That plump red apple that Junior gets from a kindly old woman down the block may have a razor blade hidden inside it." Oh my gosh! In 1975, Newsweek warned, "If this year's Halloween follows form, a few children will return home with something more than an upset tummy." Mm. Oh. In recent years, several children have died and hundreds have narrowly escaped injury from razor blades, sewing needles, and shards of glass purposely put into their goodies. I remember hearing about sewing needles too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tell me if I'm going to wreck your whole thing here. But <laughs> and I'll cut it and oh, I'll cut no. this out. But Right. <laughs> to my knowledge, the razor blade thing never actually mm. happened. There was no recorded mm. incident of it happening. That's what I remember hearing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're wrecking my whole yeah, Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> That's, that's, that's I, why I prefaced it with that. The ruining cat's fun. I remember the, the um, warnings. I remember the check your candy or don't accept things that aren't wrapped, you know, right. like by factory mm-hmm. wrapped. Yep. yep. 
And then at some point I learned, I don't remember how old, that my grandmother would make these popcorn balls. Mm-hmm. Like, so oh, she'd sure. make her own treat and, and wrap them up. Surround wrap? Saran wrap? Yeah. 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 And she'd hand them out. And I was, oh, I was horrified. Yeah. Because you saw what she was putting in there, razor blades. <laughs> Forget what John said. No, actually, she, they did a lot of sewing right there. She was so, like, you X-ray know, this, you little brats. I remember turning that corner, cat, where, uh, because my, my mother, she would often do, she would like, oh, let's make brownies. Let's make this or whatever. It came to the point where she's like, oh, I want to make brownies for the trick-or-treaters, but I know mm-hmm. they'll throw them away. Oh, because if it wasn't a right. sealed product, Right. It was traditional that people would thank you very much, but the kids weren't allowed to have it because, you know, who knows what could be in it because of all this yeah. hysteria. Yeah. So we just, we caved into big candy again yes. and started buying the, <laughs> whatever Brock's had that year. Cat's like, Grandma, will you will you sew this sock? I have a hole in it. Hole in it. And she's like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm all out of sewing needles this year. I'm all gone. I have to get more at the store. <laughs> Pass Granny one of those Granny Smiths. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At the time, Halloween sadism was thought to involve random, vicious, unprovoked attacks against small children. Mm-hmm. The attacks seemed irrational, and the attackers routinely described as disturbed or insane. In an oh. October 1970 New York Times article, psychiatrist Dr. Edith Jurica p- posited that, quote, people, have, people who have this much hostility towards children must have had a really deprived childhood. And psychiatrist Dr. Mm. Reginald Steen told the paper that, quote, they are probably frustrated and filled with resentment against the world wow. in general. Quote, and imagine how angry you have to be to mm-hmm. give away your heroin. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I mean, if you have some, <laughs> yes. because you like it, you gotta oh be really gosh. upset with kids to sprinkle it on candy and just give it away, yeah. right? You're like, this kid's yes. gonna be so ungrateful for this heroin, he doesn't realize. <laughs> I guess unless you you're wanted to welcome. get in, unless you're a dealer and you want to get him addicted, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, First one's free. Cut a hole in a sheet and take my whole stash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? The ghost. The ghost. Okay. You just cut one hole though, John, so you had me concerned when you were putting through it. Why is there just a one hole? You said cut a hole. No, nothing goes through it but sight. Okay. Oh. Yes, John is a uh, cyclops. Uh, As a result, various authorities responded to the threat. Uh, Legislatures in California and New Jersey passed laws against Halloween sadism. Do you need a law saying don't poison kids and put razor blades in apples? I apparently... We'd like to make this official. Y'all stop messing with the kids' candy. It's just not nice. damn it! Because up until then you go, yeah, Mm -hmm. show me the law where it says I'm not allowed to, right? And then I go, okay, we'll make one. Honey, do you have the receipt for these razor blades? (laughs) <laughs> I'll bring them all back. The razor blade tension is palpable. <laughs> Again, I think you took away the wrong message from what I was trying to say. Maybe I wasn't clear. Uh, schools train children to inspect their treats for signs of tampering, and some communities try, some communities tried to ban trick-or-treating altogether. Wow. And parents, too, oh. of course, heeded the warnings. Many restricted their children's trick-or-treating, examined their treats, or arranged parties or other indoor celebrations. You know, I imagine mm-hmm. this is when trunk or, trunk or treats were born in church parking mm-hmm. lots and schools. It could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I don't remember hearing that phrase trunk or treat until <laughs> like in the 2000s. Yeah, me I too. I think I heard it earlier, but it's possible. It was the beginning of mm-hmm. like the demise of the traditional Halloween when it wasn't just mm-hmm. feral kids running the street 
pulling pranks and getting candy. Now it's, you're going to be chaperoned around to houses mm-hmm. of people we know. And we're mm-hmm. going to, you know, it's all the, the, the policing of Halloween turned yeah. it into not the, not the safe purge that you said, no. you know, it was, Will. It's just, yeah. we've lost that. I, I just think we still don't have it back. Here yeah. where I live, it's yeah. six to eight o'clock on the Friday closest oh, to Halloween before oh, Halloween. Right. It's, you, 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 it's very um, regimented. Mm-hmm. And I got to say though, it, it's kind of fun because of that, because the neighbors are all out and it's kind of like a, woo, yeah. you know, like a little party atmosphere. And it's off a of school night, you know, that can stress some people out. Uh, so, but I was amazed by it. When I first moved here, I was like, wait, mm-hmm. what? Like trick or treats not on Halloween? <laughs> I was so confused. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's all crap. day. That's crap. Yeah, it, was, it was a little right. weird. You don't legislate Halloween. Halloween is is a gift to kids. You, do you remember how much fun it was <laughs> oh, yeah. to go out yeah. and, and, yeah. and run wild? And if it was a, you know, it's a school night. Mm-hmm. Well, it's one school night. It's not going to kill you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> go have fun. So John, sad. I didn't run wild, though. I didn't. There was none of that. Well, for you me. missed out. <laughs> so John, John, you were sort of getting to this. Uh, you, you know, you were skeptical of this in, in the same way that these two researchers that I mentioned were because... In 1985, in this paper, they set out to determine whether or not, you know, these threats that uh, had been reported were true or not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, now, they had no, there's no reliable official statistics statistics on Halloween sadism, it turns out. So instead, <laughs> uh, Best and Horiuchi examined the coverage of Halloween sadism in four daily newspapers between 1959 and 1984. Um. Now, there were some limitations. They conceded that whereas the New York Times, for example proved to be unusually uh, complete in their coverage of these types of stories. Mm-hmm. The published indexes of the Chicago Tribune, which they also relied upon, and the Los Angeles Times were less thorough. Hmm. Um, they also mm-hmm. examined all Halloween stories in the files of the Fresno Bee. But oh. by looking at the stories in these four newspapers, they felt comfortable they had a national coverage for different stories because many of these papers recorded reported stories that happened in other states. Okay. And they note that while there were some limitations, they believe this approach was strong because in the very least, it was bolstered by the fact that there's a strong business interest in newspapers reporting titillating stories that would involve Halloween scenes. Mm-hmm. Sure. Newspapers. So <laughs> yep. if it happened and they knew about the it, one of these papers mm-hmm. would have reported it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So let's take let's let's take a break here for from our scary music for a moment because once again it's time to play. In Philadelphia, oh. it's worth fifty oh, bucks. So, so I mentioned to you from 1959 through 1984, these uh, two uh, researchers examined all of the newspaper stories, mm-hmm. all the reporting related to Halloween sadism stories where children mm-hmm. were injured by someone purposefully, you know, again tainting their Halloween treats. Okay. Mm-hmm. Closest without going over. How many stories were reported between 1959 and 1984? Ooh, okay. I will tell you that the incidents included uh, stories from 15 states and two Canadian provinces. How severe must the incident be? Must it be mm-hmm. something was found to be potentially dangerous or something actually happened to a child? It's, it's as, <laughs> it's as the, the bar is as low as something happened. Okay. All right. That's fine. That, that's okay. fair enough. So yeah, it doesn't I, I, involve yep. necessarily injury, death. Yeah. Something happened gotcha. or something was attempted. Okay. I, I have I have a guess. Okay. I have a guess. Okay. I, I'm going to say 
I believe and always have that it's largely based on hysteria mm-hmm. that someone told someone told someone it could happen <laughs> and it got blown out of proportion. Yeah. But uh-huh. in every legend has a kernel of truth. So I don't believe it's zero. Right. I'm going to say three. Very good. Cat. Well, over 25 years, I feel like it needs to be a bit more than okay, three. three. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say 15. Okay. I guess closest without going over the winner is Cat. Because 16 Ooh. could be the answer. But it turns out, uh, and you both were onto the right track as far as uh, under, I guess, undercounting what you would suspect uh-huh. a number would mm-hmm. be to reflect again, like John's saying, mm-hmm. the hysteria, the mania with regard to this fear. Yeah. It was actually 76 reported incidents during that time period. Wow. Mm-hmm. However, none were serious. Uh, okay. Injuries were reported in only 20 cases and only two of these involved deaths. There's my three. You were close to the death tally. Right there. I was, I was so close. And and while, and I should point out that while there were a few stories with regard to strangers purposely, you know, attempting to harm children, these newspapers Mm -hmm. did report on other Halloween tragedies, including accidents, you know, accidental deaths uh, and murders that took place on the Mm -hmm. holiday. Because that happens all the time. It turns out the, the, the biggest killer of children on Halloween is, our cars, you know, not uh, noticing children crossing the street or drunk drivers that are coming mm-hmm. home from a Halloween party, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Right. Anyway, back to the scary music. Now, nearly half of the 76 incidents that I told you about occurred during the three years from 1969 to 1971. Mm-hmm. And the wave of reports coincides with the perceived rise of this Halloween sadism as a serious threat. So again, even though folks had conceived that this might be a problem, you know, for decades earlier, now it's becoming a reality. Mm. Fueled by stories that, like I told you at the beginning of this. Okay. Mm -hmm. So while the media routinely offered mundane safety tips, you know, they warned us about flammable costumes, masks that obscured the view. And most of those, uh, what was that company? Ruby's masks. They cut into your eyeballs. I mean, you had (laughs) to cut them open a little bit wider. The rubber band was too tight. Yep. Yep. You had the what Ben Cooper and Collegeville that had the mm. like the mask and smock thing, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yep. yep. But from 1972 and on, your hair. so beginning in yeah. 1972 forward, the advice included uh, urging parents to inspect their children's treats for tampering. Mm-hmm. And while reports of Halloween sadism peaked in 1971, with 14 of the 76 occurring that year alone. Reported incidents dropped off precipitously just to just a few every year. That is mm-hmm. until 1982. Uh-oh. What happened in 1982? Um. September 29th, 1982, just a month before Halloween, Adam Janis. 27-year-old postal worker from Arlington Heights, Illinois, died of what appeared to be a massive heart attack. Oh. Upon learning this devastating news, Adam's brother and sister-in-law, Stanley and Teresa, rushed to his home to console the other family members that were there. And while while visiting Stanley, who had back issues, took an extra strength Tylenol capsule from the uh-huh. bottle in Adam's home. Teresa, his wife, who may not have been feeling well dealing with the sudden tragedy, followed suit and took two oh. capsules as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. Shortly thereafter, Charles Kramer in Arlington Heights Fire Department Lieutenant was called to that home in an emergency 
and when he arrived, he found Stanley on the floor with paramedics hovering over him. Wow. Teresa, who was hysterical as she watched her newlywed husband fight for his life, steadied herself by grabbing the fireman's arm, but soon she groaned and also collapsed to the floor next to her partner. Mm -hmm. Stanley died that day, and Teresa died two days later. When Kramer asked nurse Helen Jensen, the Arlington Heights only public health official to investigate the medical mystery, she spoke with family members and she learned that the victims had each taken Tylenol that day. Mm-hmm. Wasting no time, she went over to the household and searched and found the Tylenol bottle yep. with six pills missing, which started to confirm her suspicions that obviously this was probably the culprit. She even yeah. took it upon herself to play detective and searched the, their garbage and found the receipt showing that that bottle was purchased that day. Wow, right. okay. But when mm-hmm. she presented this evidence to the police and the medical examiner that evening, they didn't believe her hypothesis. Hmm. Uh, Jensen told the painkiller documentarians, the Paramount Plus documentary I just told you about, quote, they laughed at me. They're not gonna listen to me. I'm a nurse, a woman. But when 12-year-old Mary Kellerman from Elk Grove Village also died earlier that morning, and they learned Mm -hmm. she had also taken an extra strength Tylenol that her parents had given to Mm -hmm. her to help deal with the cold, the connection was undeniable. Mm -hmm. And over the next few days, three more died suddenly after taking the -the over-the-counter medication. Finally, following Jensen's lead, the Tylenol taken by these unfortunate victims was found to contain three times the lethal dose of cyanide. Oh my God. Isn't it, it's almost, I don't want to say understandable, but it's almost, you can see why someone might not be quick to judge this trusted over-the-counter medication. Mm. Yeah, Because it wasn't at that point suspected something had been tampered with, but as she was calling attention, hey, they both took a Tylenol, you can go, well, Tylenol's not a big deal. Don't yep. worry, that can't be the problem. Yep. Sure. Because certainly yeah. no one knew they had been, you know, had been tainted. Yep. Uh, right. But as you said, once there was a connection outside of that one home and you're like, well, this is tough to ignore. And that's when mm-hmm. that's when it all blew up. Yeah. To their credit, Johnson & Johnson, who manufactures Tylenol, took immediate action. They recalled more than mm-hmm. 31 million mm-hmm. bottles Full that recall. were still in circulation. I remember that, yep. They quickly mm-hmm. established that the cyanide lacing occurred after cases of Tylenol left the factory. Right. Someone, yeah. the police hypothesized, must have t- taken bottles off the shelves of local grocer- mm-hmm. grocers and uh, mm-hmm. drugstores, uh, laced the capsules with the poison, and then returned the restored packages to the shelves to be purchased by the unknowing victims. Now, if you you recall, these these types of pills were the kind you could just pull the two halves apart mm-hmm. and gain That's access right. to the medication. It's just a powder inside, yes. right. One man named James Lewis, claiming to be the Tylenol killer, wrote a ransom letter to Johnson Johnson demanding $1 million in exchange for stopping the poisonings. Oh boy. And after a lengthy cat and mouse game, the police arrested Lewis in New York. Mm-hmm. Upon his arrest, Lewis told authorities how a person hypothetically behind the attacks <laughs> may have carried out the killings mm-hmm. by buying the Tylenol, adding cyanide to the bottles and returning to the store shelves. He even included details mm-hmm. like, well, they would have a certain kind of pegboard where they could use to drill into the thing and very oh. detailed. Yeah. Huh. He was also found to have previously possessed a poisoning book. And according to a, a confidential law enforcement document, his fingerprints were discovered on, on pages related to cyanide. In spite of this, however, Lewis was never linked directly to the Chicago area murders. Hmm. But he was charged with extortion and sentenced to 20 years in prison. (laughs) Good for him. He was released after only 13 (laughs) years in 1995. 
And while a handful of other suspects were in play, investigators always came back to Lewis, who steadfastly maintained his innocence. Hmm. Court documents released in early 2009, however, show that, quote, Department of Justice investigators concluded Lewis was responsible for the poisonings, despite Hmm. the fact they may not have had enough evidence to charge him. Mm -hmm. Uh, End quote. Uh, As a side note, Lewis was found dead in his Massachusetts home this past July. He died of uh, natural causes at age 71. Now, of Mm -hmm. course, these murders led to a number of changes to medicine. Johnson & Johnson introduced Mm tamper-proof packaging and a new caplet, which was a a tablet coated with a easy-to-swallow sort of covering that also made it essentially tamper-proof. Like sealed mm-hmm. it closed, right. And in 1989, yeah. the right. FDA established federal guidelines for manufacturers to make all such mm-hmm. products tamper-proof. Right. I think it's worth calling mm-hmm. that out, especially for any younger listeners who might not remember pre-82. Right. That that was everything that you see now, you know, the uh, the paper seal that says if this has been tampered, do not, you know, return to the store and the, yeah. you know, the, 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 the shrink wrap around bottles and things like that. That was nothing. Yeah. You could open right. a bottle just like it was yours. You already owned it. There was nothing to stop you from opening it and rummaging your finger around and going, yep, that's pills, you know, yeah. and putting it back on the shelf. Uh, yeah, all of that came out of this incident that, as you said, it wasn't just for Tylenol Johnson & Johnson. Everyone did that because no one wants that to happen to them in the future. If, if it does, they've done everything they can to stop it or prevent it. It's interesting that it suggests that, I guess our society at that point was naive to the possibility of these t- types of dangers. I mean, mm-hmm. it seems like a no brainer that you'd protect medicine in some way. Well, but who <laughs> would do that, right? You have yeah. to wonder what kind, of, it, it takes a special kind of lunatic to believe, yeah. Yeah. let me randomly poison people who I've never seen just because why? Yeah. So it's, it's because it's yeah. a crime with, what's the motive? You know, mm-hmm. What would be right. the motive of tampering with this thing that goes to someone you'll never know they- other than getting in the news or something, you know, I just, yeah. It was it was unimaginable until now it was, you know, unavoidably imaginable. Yeah. And if it was for a specific victim, it's astonishingly ineffective, right? <laughs> right, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Like it right. Just, yeah it's yeah. a special. There are much more efficient ways to poison people. Yeah. I mean, right. I'm sure. I don't know. I'm assuming there are yeah. more efficient John, ways. So you're not admitting to a crime or a potential crime? Uh-oh. No, no. If Do not get <laughs> Phil Collins after me at a concert. Okay. No, do not. <laughs> <laughs> The cues. Um, so in the weeks that followed this Tylenol scare, there were hundreds of reports of copycats adulterating food, over-the-counter medications, and other household products. And as yeah. Halloween approached, because this happened in what? Uh, September. September of 1982. Mm-hmm. The, so just a month later, we, we were celebrating this holiday. But as it approached, the media repeatedly warned parents that trick-or-treaters would be in danger. Some communities yeah. discouraged trick-or-treating for Halloween, and American grocery stores reported that candy sales were down more than 20%. Wow. Yeah. In the big. wake of the scare, conf- the uh, confectionery industry tried to reassure potential customers in a white paper on Halloween candy tampering. <laughs> the report noted that more than 95% of the 270 potential Halloween 1982 candy adulterations analyzed by the FDA showed no tampering. Although, mm-hmm. some, and so some authorities began to believe as one FDA official concluded that the fear was a result of quote, psychosomatic mass hysteria. Mm-hmm. And in fact, many, if not most, uh, the, the reports of Halloween sadis- sadism were of questionable authenticity. Mm-hmm. Two of the 76 reported incidents were determined to be hoaxes. And the mm-hmm. researchers concluded that the others were likely the mm-hmm. result of undiscovered fraud. The problem is 
you cannot unring that bell for the public, for parents, for the paranoid. And no one wants to be the one who says, oh, it's, you know, it's fine. My kid is not going to be the one that tests the theory, right? You, you're going to err on the side of caution because yeah, yeah. the news is telling you that. It's, yeah, it's terrible yeah. what happened to Halloween. Yeah. And you can't, you know, these researchers concluded that you can't blame the media entirely because all the, the, although the media can play a sure role in manufacturing crime waves by focusing on, you know, a particular type of offense. Mm-hmm. Right. The as we talked about with seventy six incidents reported over a twenty five period, and many of these mm-hmm. were one or two sentence, you know, line items in, in a newspaper. Yeah. They weren't talked about very much, mm-hmm. so it wasn't the result of the media, you know, conflagrating. I don't know what the word would be. Yeah. You know this uh, scare. <laughs> Is that bursting into flames? Yeah, Maybe exactly. It. <laughs> Imagine you don't have a flame-proof flagration. It's very incendiary. That's for sure. Yes. <laughs> Instead, Best and Horiuchi concluded that the belief that Halloween sadism was a serious threat can be characterized as an urban legend. Myth busted. Clank. And they explain, you know, because I, 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 I honestly don't know what the, I, th- I think these folks are sociologists, but I'm not positive. Mm-hmm. They explain that in general, urban legends are the products of social, what they describe as social strain. Mm-hmm. And the form of strain that seems most clearly linked to Halloween sadism, and it was the growing sense that children were no longer safe in the United States. Mm-hmm. It's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? Right, right. Yep. It was during the yep. 60s and 70s that physicians and social workers promoted child abuse as a major social problem. Uh-huh. The, the popular press responded with dozens of dramatic stories about children who had been cruelly treated by their parents. The rhetoric of this campaign emphasized that all children were potential victims, that child abuse occurred in all sectors of society, and even parents who were certain that their children would never be abused could worry about losing their children to other threats. Mm-hmm. And during the 70s and 80s, you'll recall that there were emerging campaigns against incest, child pornography, mm-hmm. child molesting. Mm-hmm. We had more than one special episodes of our favorite sitcoms, including Different Strokes, that addressed mm-hmm. some of these issues yep in turn contributing to a larger sense of children being in jeopardy during that time period yes what's interesting is while these factors may have contributed to uh the fear of a halloween sadist they actually highlight the actual threat that children faced during the 70s the 70s 80s and today that is that a child or i guess anyone for that matter is more likely mm-hmm. to be hurt by someone they know than a complete stranger. Which brings me back to the two stories from the 1970s I shared earlier. Oh, Mm -hmm. bazinga, here we go. The true tales that likely lent credence to a rising fear of Halloween sadists. So you recall that in 1970, a five-year-old Kevin Tostin Tostin, died of an apparent narcotics overdose. After further investigation, police concluded that the child swallowed a capsule of heroin and not Halloween candy. Mm. Inspector Mm -hmm. Robert Slotke chief of the Detroit Homicide Bureau said that the boy had apparently swallowed the drug while visiting an uncle's home. Mm. The child had gotten into the uncle's poorly hidden stash of heroin, eaten it, and died. It seems the family had concocted the Halloween candy story to cover for Kevin's uncle. To cover Uh. for Uncle Druggy. And even more tragically is the story of Timothy O'Brien, who I told you passed away in 1974. Oh, I'm not going to like this pixie stick story. Yeah, you're not. As the investigation into Timothy O'Brien's death continued Investigators began to suspect Timothy's father, Ronald, 
of the heinous murder of his son. Son Oh, no. None of the homes to which O'Brien had taken his son to trick-or-treat that Halloween Mm. had given out pixie sticks. Okay. Busted. And even concocted a story that, well, it's that one home, though, that I think is abandoned. There was somebody in there. I saw his hairy arm come out. He handed the pixie sticks. (laughs) Okay. And the police found that while that house wasn't occupied during Halloween, it's because the the gentleman, I think, was an air traffic controller and actually wasn't home till 11 p.m. that night. Hmm. Anyway, the uh, the investigators soon learned that O'Brien was who was over a hundred thousand dollars in debt, was about to have oh. his car repossessed, had defaulted on several bank loans, and had his home foreclosed on. Had also taken out life insurance policies on his children's in the month months preceding Timothy's death. Oh, you son oh, of a bitch! It gets worse. Oh my the various god! Various policies. Mean, I, three. He went to the insur- insurance company three times, and by the second and third time, the insurance companies were like, "I don't think you should do this or need this." Mm-hmm. But ultimately, these three policies totaled approximately sixty thousand dollars in nineteen eighties money. They'd be equivalent of over three hundred and fifty thousand, I think, today. Sure. Police also learned that on the morning after Timothy's death, O'Brien called his insurance company to inquire about collecting the money. Oh my gosh! After mm. learning that O'Brien had visited a chemical supply store, a chemical mm-hmm. supply store in Houston to buy cyanide shortly before Halloween although he left without purchasing anything. Police arrested mm-hmm. him. O'Brien, who maintained his innocence, was found guilty and executed on March 31st, 1984. Not a moment too soon. Yeah. During the execution, a crowd of 300 demonstrators gathered outside the prison with some yelling, trick or treat. <laughs> oh. And others showering anti-death penalty mm-hmm. demonstrators with candy. Right. And for his final meal, an apple with a razor blade in it. Oh. <laughs> Now, like to John's point about you can't unring this bell, mm-hmm. you know, sadly, while the report of these tragedies initially, as I told you them at the beginning of this segment, were front page news, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. version of the story that I just told you yeah. was, you know, on back page or, you know, oh, C-section right. B or something like that. Update to the story. It was yeah. just another lunatic parent or, or druggy uncle or- It was that you know, uncle. Yeah. Which unfortunately wound up obscuring the real threats to children. You know, yep. family mm-hmm. members, and instead right. gave birth to a fictional boogeyman. Anyway, there you go. There's some cheery news for you for Halloween. And my poor Nana got falsely accused of <laughs> right. <that>. by us. <laughs> right. Her popcorn <laughs> balls were unfairly maligned by <laughs> vindictive in debt fathers. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Enjoy my popcorn balls. <laughs> I'm. I'm sure if you do, you'll never have to worry about darning a sock again. <laughs> she sounds like the the witch in You no look like you now. could use a shave. Have a popcorn ball. <laughs> What's the connection? I don't get it. Oh, you will later. <laughs> Nana, I, I really like your glasses, Nana. Oh, you do? Oh, no. Mm, come in. Let me show you my collection of popcorn buckets. For my popcorn balls. Mm, yes. Excellent. Still in the hopper. All right. Hey, that was our depressing show. <laughs> kids be safe out there. My kids still, my kids still, when they come home, they look for tampered candy. We wow. probably had this crazy? conversation with them. I mean, we probably have said it. We don't, 
wait, I don't, I, you know, look, mm-hmm. I don't want me eating something that somebody baked either. Honestly, right. you're not going to be the parent yeah. that goes, don't check anything. Just eat, eat it in the dark. Don't even look at it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be that person. That's the Candy problem. Roulette. The bell is there. It rang. Yeah. And now yeah. you're like, well, let's be a little cautious just in case. Yeah. The cost to double check or be extra safe is small. That's right. It is a little amount of time. And most people don't Mm -hmm. make home baked goods because they grew up during this year. So we don't even have to toss those out really. Man, this is making me a second guess what I hand out. One thing I get is a big old bag of dum-dums. Yeah. It's just those little twisty wrappers. Oh Oh my gosh. Right. They'd be sealed in wax hermetically. (laughs) Oh guys, I got to tell you something as a side note, it's really depressing about that pixie six stories. If I haven't bummed you out enough. Um, Oh, by all means. (laughs) This Keep guy, he, he, so John, they were sealed pixie sticks. He opened them, poisoned them, and then stapled them closed. Oh. Stapled? Yes. Ooh. In fact, he had given out four of these pixie sticks. So his son had, I think, uh, most of them. And, and when the, when the investigators realized what it was, they Wait. notified other kids that were trick-or-treating Wait. with his son. He gave out others as a smoke screen so it wouldn't be yes. just his son? Yes. Oh, Oh, now, burn in hell twice. It turns wow. out that it turns out that only I believe only one other boy had one, mm-hmm. and when because he was trick or treating with his son, because mm-hmm. what the father did was he let the kids go ahead, and then he pretended he went to a home and said, "Oh, hey, I, the guy was there. Sorry, he wasn't there a second ago. He gave these to, for, and he put for them you. in the bag himself. Yes. Oh my gosh. So I- one of the kids' friends got one. <laughs> And when the parents found out, they panicked because they knew he had a pixie stick Mm -hmm. and they Mm -hmm. ran up to his bedroom to find Mm -hmm. him sound asleep, holding the pixie stick. He couldn't open it because it had been stapled closed. Oh my Mm. gosh. Anyway, good night. (laughs) And this cheerful episode brought to you by. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which, which Halloween sadist brought us this episode, Kat? (laughs) I'm not sure any of our patrons want to like claim to helping us oh, bring this oh, to oh, they're in there now. <laughs> right. Whose fault is this show, Kat? Read the uh, name. <laughs> <laughs> yes. well, you know, it's those it's those early adopters with their sewing needles, Karen Flieger and Rick. Whoa, whoa, Kat, Kat, you're taking it too far. Wait. You're suggesting that he had criminal helping pay for an episode that's dark is one thing. That's one thing, right. And suggesting your grandma, <laughs> suggesting your grandma tainted her balls. So something else. And thank you especially <laughs> to our uh, secret of our success level Patreon supporters like Marcus Taylor, Marcus. Tony, Tony Great, Great. Nick Guillory, Ooh. Craig Coletta, okay. Matt Marino, John Henderson, and Brandon Greer. Hey, thank you so much, guys, for supporting the show. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, and if you want to uh, mm-hmm. join our patrons in helping literally fund the show week to week, please visit us at 1980snow.com slash support or go straight to patreon.com slash 1980snow. Hey, you know what else you could do or in addition to? Make a comment on Facebook. Send us an email, will at 1980snow.com or cat at 1980snow.com. John still mm-hmm. doesn't care if you write it or not. <laughs> Stuff just goes into I'm not going to read them anyway. This stuff just goes into a hole. Uh, just do one of those things or Twitter or share one of our episodes. Uh, and here is some examples of that. Uh, hey, we were just talking about author Sky McDonald, our friend of the show. Um, yeah. With regard to our, hmm, our news that Star Wars had uh, 
Mm. Remove something from canon, we shall say. Uh, mm-hmm, sure. Sky wrote, I was LOLing in my car through the whole episode, <laughs> but the Star Wars bit, I am deceased, which I found the, I found out the, <laughs> the young people say that when they mean like something was really, really funny. Oh, no, yes. I'm, well, I'm glad she's still all right. She's not. They'll say, her, her. Also, I know. Also, like, oh, no. <laughs> also, in the don't stand so close to me, have you seen the video for Total Eclipse of the Heart? Same vibes, mm. swapped genders. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yes, okay. I rewatched and I yeah. was like, wow. <laughs> With regard to last week's episode where we talked about uh, breaking in the 1980s, we asked oh, yeah. folks right. whether or not they also danced on a piece of cardboard in, on their neighborhood streets. And we got some responses here. Uh, Lucy writes, I've never braked. And she writes, broken. Uh, what's the past tense, I guess. But in very, in neuro, very rural New Hampshire where there was no quote unquote street we were as impressed by it in music videos as everyone else was. Uh, <laughs> Brett wrote, my only exposure was watching battles at the local roller rink. They had a corner with cardboard oh, yeah. and we would watch them have at it. My cousin could do some smaller moves and try to teach me, but I was uh, more of a nerd. Imagine a breakdancing <laughs> nerd, he writes. Oh. I hadn't thought about the crossover. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I was real, the crossover between breakdancing and roller skating. I definitely saw that mm. in my roller rink. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but yeah, but I mean- because if you're athletic enough to be able to do those pop and lock and breaking moves and stuff, you probably also mm-hmm. are skating backwards and crossing over and doing huh. all the cool stuff in the limbo. I definitely saw people on the on the skating rink, on the whatever is the rink floor, whatever. Yeah. Uh, they're actually breaking while they were out there. Yeah. So I I didn't even occur to me until I saw that email. So that's awesome. Uh, host of Mr. Throwback Thursday, Jamie Robinson writes, we used to break mm-hmm. all the time in the mid to late 80s. One of the biggest places mm-hmm. for us in upstate New York was the rink. Mm-hmm. There you go. Every, oh, there you go. I'll every Friday and Saturday wow. night at the local roller rink, they would clear the floor and open it for breakers. Yeah, that's right. That's mm-hmm. right. Yep. And uh, finally, Marcus wrote, uh, took or got sent to classes at the local YMCA, guessing the reason it didn't stick had to do with everyone involved being white and from Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> I love the part about he got sent to. Yeah, was it, was yeah, was it like it was either that or a military academy? <laughs> was, was he sent to or sentenced to? Was yes, that a typo? Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Court ordered breaking. That's right. <laughs> I sent you to four sessions of pop and lock. Yes. You're here by I order do. to get rhythm. That'll turn you into an upstanding citizen. (laughs) That's what it is. That's what you're lacking. (laughs) Okay. Hey, folks, we will talk to you next time on 1980s Now. Until next time. Trick or treat.